Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. Just a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Paperbell. It's a new tool that powers your online coaching business. Paperbell handles your payments, your appointment scheduling, sending files to your clients, contract signing, and much more. You can get started with a free account at paperbell.com forward slash podcast. That's paperbell.com forward slash podcast. Let's get into the show. G'day, everybody, and welcome to The Coaching Podcast. My name is Emma Doyle, and I have the pleasure today of interviewing somebody who also teaches players, athletes, corporates how to perform under pressure, Martin Fain. He's the founding partner and CEO of Gazing Performance Systems. He's so much more than that. Can't wait to talk about rugby. Can't wait to talk about what it takes to get into the mind of high performers and also just us everyday folks so that we can high perform. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. Delighted to be here as well. And it's a, it's a, it's a subject of common interest, so I'm really looking forward to the next short while as well. So. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Well, listen, we'll kick it off with our, our first question. I know, Martin, with that accent already, our listeners know that the, there's a bit of UK there coming out. It's like Vegemite versus Marmite. Uh, <laughs> what's I was about name? to say, <laughs> yeah, it's Marmite. <laughs> Marmite, all the way, all the way. All right, well, because you said that, and this is hosted by an Aussie, I'm going to get you to start with a coaching moment that didn't go so well and what might be a lesson or two for our listeners. Can you think of one? Yeah, well, there's plenty. There always are. I've been doing it a long time, so there's going to be plenty. Look, I, I think, I mean, I mean, I've got two ones that come to mind. Um, one, one is a group, one's an executive one that didn't go too well. And um, I'm very conscious of this, slipping into um, telling and convincing is a dialogue that actually drives out a good response. Um, and I know myself, it happens when people are displaying uh, less interest in what I'm doing and what we're talking about and what we're sitting there. And uh, I know as I'm doing it, I mean, I've done it with, with one executive and it ended up in us losing a big contract. So it was expensive as well as embarrassing. Um, but... <laughs> But the other one was with a group, and at the end of it, the feedback was just it, it. It just got I got caught up with trying to convince people that what I was talking about would be really helpful, and just one or two people. Had, so it was one of those moments where you just go, "This is about a dialogue and not a monologue," and it's always a good reminder. Dialogue, not a monologue. I love the little one-liners, the one-liner gems that I've already got. Thank you for sharing that. What about on the flip side? Can you think of when you when people play back what they've heard and they play it back to you with meaning and intent and often in their own language those are great moments for me and i've got two that, that came to mind as you asked the question it's a good question and, and um both of them are, are, are young girls i'm working with young young athletes one's a footballer um who is destined to run a country and play football for her country as well i'm sure she's off the charts brilliant um the other one is a golfer uh, similarly and both of them um, I found them teaching back to me the control circles, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later on, but most people in coaching are aware of the ability, the need to focus on what you can control and not get caught up and distracted and diverted by stuff that you can't control. Um, and, and both of them were teaching back. And how about this for uh, a young, the young golfer? Uh, she said to me, so the way I'm using this now, so you know, she said, 
when the ball leaves my club, as far as I'm concerned, it's in the can't control circle, which basically means I no longer have to be concerned about the shot itself. I only have to focus on how I respond to that. How's that? She was 14. I have so that's brilliant. I've got goosebumps. I love uh, that. 14 years of age and she's she's already taking control of her mindset. Yep, yep. I mean, and, and she's continued with that. She's, well, this is only two years ago, so it's very recent. Um, but, but, but she's already, you know, uh, performing for her country. And, and, and listen, don't, don't, I mean, she has plenty of bad moments on the golf course. And that's true whenever you, whoever, whatever athletes or teams you work with, you're going to have your bad moments. But, but to be able to describe mindset with that clarity at that age, what a great start. I think the moment when you have to teach something to others, you do a little more research on it too, like peer coaching. Even if I love that within organisations where once a week they someone in the in the team has to teach the group something that they know or something yep. that they're passionate about or something that uh, they're interested in. And when you have to teach something or teach something back to your coach, that, that's gold dust. I hope Completely. the coaches out there, Take that on and, you know, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with sometimes having the player design the drill. All right, you design the drill and tell me yeah. why we're, we're working on something. I think there's really, it's a really, I mean, my experience would say there's been two really good reasons for that. One of the ways that we use that is uh, when we're doing coach certification, so the process of, of, of certifying people in red to blue, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later on, um, we use see one, do one, teach one. And the teach one moment is partly teaching back to us uh, from a certification perspective, which is quite common, but it's also teaching in peers. If you're in groups, teaching peers one another about what they've learned and how they've applied it, it's a very powerful way of embedding the thinking and bringing it to life for the individual. So I really uh, I like that. But the other way it really helps is in testing communication. And I've worked with so many coaches who um, have often described frustration because the damn athletes, players, are not doing what I've told them to do. And, I, and I'm always asking, I just want to check, did you? You know, it could well be them, but it might be you. Um, and have you checked? Have you turned the mirror around and go, did they really, truly understand? And he, and he or she, they go, well, they nodded and they said yes. And I go, but did they really understand? So teaching back is often a really good way of just, uh, this won't be new to most people on the podcast, but just a good way of clarifying the quality of your communication. I, I know it's not new, but I actually don't see it that often, to be honest. No. So um, it's, maybe it's just a good reminder because we can get so caught up just doing what we've always done and we obviously we get what we've always got. So I just think it's a good reminder to maybe make a conscious effort, one even once a month, to throw that in, whether you're in the workplace within a team or whether you're on a sporting field, just throw it back to the players and say, right, you're going to be, you know, give them plenty of warning. I think that's important too. Yeah, yeah. In the fourth week of this month, we want you to, to come up with it. You know, this is the theme, yeah. the broad yeah. theme, and, and see what they Coach do. it back. Because yeah, that's it's a very good mirror, a reflection yeah. of your coaching as well. So I, I love that, Martin, already. What about the next question, our sliding doors question? I have. Well, I should have gone right from one scrum other suppose to the left and we got knocked out of the semi-final at one point in a, in a big match, a rugby match. So there's that. But, wow. You know, that there's that but mm -hmm. but that, um listen the one that disappoints my daughters the most is the fact that when i was it was in the 70s so i will tell people how old i am i had the opportunity to audition final audition for a tv show that was piloting that then went on to be massive 
because uh, I liked acting and wanted to be an actor. And I said, no, because I like my rugby and I like sport too much. So I chose not to be an actor. And uh, my daughters are going, why, you know, you played rugby for nothing versus being an actor. <laughs> so that was why. I love that. Um, I, I guess it's a, a moment when um, I, I, I had a great friend of mine who was a, um, he became. He was a marketing, sports marketing consultant, and he and we were gonna. I was gonna set up a business. I'd worked for uh, Xerox, uh, corporate, big corporate for fifteen years, and I'd always wanted to leave and set my own business up. And we were literally really close to um, going into business together. He went on to be agent for some of the some of the very best rugby players ever to play the game, and I left to set gazing up. So uh, who knows what would have happened? Gazing maybe wouldn't have existed. If I hadn't done that, or I may have been, a, you know, part of a sports agency and all that sort of stuff. So, but we are where we are. <laughs> yeah. So, was there like, why did you go down that path? Was there a moment? Was there a decision? Can you remember something specific that made you take that choice over the other choice? Yeah, it goes back to when I was young. I, I had always, if you'd asked me when I was 14, 15, what do you want to do? I said, be a PE teacher. So I knew then that I always wanted to, to teach in some way. I mean, in England at those times, PE teachers didn't make a great deal of money. I'm not sure they do now. So I guess at some point I made a decision not to do that. But the opportunity that Gazing presented was an opportunity to coach and teach. And, you know, as much as I love some of the work that I do now in Gazing, some of the big corporate engagements and the, the leadership and sales and management training, I think I'm really happy when, you know, coaching one-to-ones, uh, one-to-groups uh, one and helping them try and improve in our case, mental skills linked to what else they do. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, our next question is our guiding question. Of course, it is in one to a maximum of three words. What makes a great coach? Um, I thought hard about this one. I'm going to go with truth to talent. Truth to talent. Truth to talent. Uh, and I, I think it's one of the biggest gaps in the world of coaching at the elite level as much as at the base level. And it's the ability of coaches to speak clearly about to an individual or a group about not only where they're good, but also where they need to develop. And there's a, one of the biggest gaps in, in, and it's an expectations gap when you come to dealing with mindsets of, of athletes, um, is in the gap that exists between how good they think they are and how good they really are. And and at some point, it can be really helpful to speak truth to talent and say, here's what I've seen you do, and here are some consequences of, 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 of how you've performed in this particular situation. And this is where you need to develop. And this might be uncomfortable for you to listen to, but if you do, then we're going to make some progress in the development pathway. So truth to talent is what I – we try and do that. We try and help the coaches we work with be just be really clear about where the gaps might be. However good, however many trophies that individual or team may have won, there is always opportunity to get better. And, and I think that comes from being able to speak truth to talent. Because there's talent that lives within all of us, isn't there? There's the talent within that we have. We all have talent. And it's that ability to, to stretch towards it. And you need a coach to, to be truthful and as you said earlier it's about explain i love how you there was a subtlety there i hope everyone picked up on it how you pick how you said you begin with the strengths you yes you let them know what they're good at and then you then you give that feedback in a way that they go all right 
let's let's make a plan, coach. Let's do this together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it, the way you have that conversation is is critical. Well, it's a conversation then, but it but it starts with being clear. And I, and I think for many reasons and for many people, and, and partly because of the attitude or or behaviour of many athletes, there's a fear sometimes that you might upset. Um, in some way, that group, or that they perform so well that they don't necessarily want to hear your observation or your suggestion for improvement. Therefore, you you fall short of doing that. The really good coaches are not daunted um, by that. They'll just say, "Here, if you want me to help, then here's how I believe I can, and here's my observation so far. And I think that that's such an important... We, we, we have a lot of people, teams, people, who will tell us, that pressure doesn't exist. They don't feel it. They always rise to the occasion. Yet you watch them perform on a variety of different stages in different sports, and you think, "Well, that's not true," because I've just seen you. I've just seen you collapse on the tennis court, on the golf course, uh, on the pitch. So something happened there, and and getting to grips with that and making it clear, without obviously. Um, you know, closing off the channel of communication because that's the other thing you have to be cautious of as well. You've got to keep the communication open. And, of course, let's not forget that often the parent is the paying customer to the coach who thinks that their child is a genius. So that's 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 another gap. That's for another podcast. But Well, no, it, it is. I mean, it's a very interesting area. So speaking, I could have said speaking truth to parents. If we were talking about development of young athletes, mm. um, then the, 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 the uncomfortable truth that, that, that needs to go to some parents is not, it's not always bad and it's not always pushy parents. Sometimes it's just they've got really high expectations. Their intentions are, are terrific, but it's about maintaining the role of a parent and, and allowing the coaches who are, who are around that athlete, wherever that might be, whatever situation that might be, to do their work yeah. um, and support to being supportive of that. I think also when when the coach also maybe the, you've taken the athlete to a certain level and that's where your skill set is. And it's also the coach being able to say, now here's how you 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 you've outgrown me almost. I'm gonna make myself redundant. So you can go to that next coach or go to that next level, someone who is you know, a lot of people want to hold on to their players since the age of five. I've been coaching since the age of five. And I think great coaches know what lane they're in and also know where when to push them on to the next the next yeah the next level. Yeah. 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 It, it is and the pathway of development is a really interesting discussion to have with with athletes and what it feels like. I mean uh, yeah so you have to excuse a lot of at my discussions, my emphasis is on mindset and and how that relates to everything from decision making to your physical and technical preparation. But the feeling associated with progression through the pathway is one that very often coaches and therefore players aren't prepared or athletes are not prepared for. And having that conversation early enough is a really interesting one as well. This is going to feel like, and, and it's okay. Yeah. You know? Which comes back to truth, doesn't it? Truth to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Our last official question is where we ask you to ask us a question. The one that I really find fascinating when you watch good coaches, as well as when you get the opportunity to speak to them, is how do they close the gap between uh, the aspiration that you can quite quickly get athletes to articulate? I've met quite a lot of footballers who want to be the next Cristiano Ronaldo and the work that they're going to need to put in to do that. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that the answer should be one that it's terribly negative and terribly you're unlikely to do that. It's just closing the gap between 
that's what I'm aspiring to. Here's what I need to do to get there. Mm. And then doing it. How do you do that? You know, how do coaches close that gap? And in my experience with that question, I think it's so important to have language around that, to really be able to understand how to have those conversations. Uh, talking about just what's possible, first of all, as well, from where they're at. So, you know, yes, that might be the vision in five years' time, but what's possible in that next year? How far can they go and then reassess? I remember saying once when I was a young coach, I've never met anyone starting from where you're starting from who's made it to the tour. I have met people who starting from where you who've made it to US college tennis, as an example. So yeah. let's aim for that, keep that goal. And then when we get there, let's reassess the goal and see where you're at. Because I think also we should never limit a human. No, completely. I mean, I love, we're, we're lucky enough to work with some unbelievable mountaineers and one, one young lady um, who's as of next April will have broken the, the world record and been the youngest mountaineer to do the 14 top peaks, 14, 8,000 peaks. Um, phenomenal young, young, 21 years old. She's already done 11 of them starting with Everest. But we get to do quite a lot of work about the mindset associated with that. And it's a really good demonstration of if the aspiration is to summit, or in her case, 14 summits, you've got to start somewhere and you've got to get a lot of attention and energy and focus on getting to that first camp or that first summit and, and having your, your attention on that because it's those achievements that then contribute to that. And that sort of conversation is a, with a coach and an athlete, an interesting one to have. Because they're like anything, they're impatient, they want to be selected, they want to perform, they want to win, they want to do all that stuff. But you got to say things like, look, you're not going to win everything. Some things you're going to lose. You're not going to always achieve in the time that you want to. These are all parts of the journey. And Well, let's go there. The US Open tennis tournament was on this weekend. And a couple of post-match um, press conferences or, or straight, even straight after the match, um, there was a couple of players who lost in the quarters and the semis. And it looked to me that they wanted the win so bad, like so bad, like I promise you I'll win this one day and I'll be back, which is great. Like that's the big, the big umbrella. I just wonder sometimes when we want the win so bad, do we push the win further away? What's your thoughts on that? Oh, that, that area, that conversation, when we're developing the mental skill, which is what we use as the description of mindset, um, just an early starting point is the outcome, winning or losing, by the way, because it's both, is, is um, very often people's biggest motivator, but it's equally their biggest inhibitor. It's the thing that will catch them out. And, and uh, it, it, some of the most, um, I think, frustrating coaching and coaching communication to hear is when you hear or analysts um, saying it's all about winning. Uh, it's got to be about winning. Everything's about winning. And it happens a lot over here in the world of soccer. Over here, you just hear managers come on. You go, you know, we're instilling a winning mentality. You go, well, and it's all about winning for us. You go, of course it is. But do you think any athlete or team has ever taken the field genuinely and thought, ah, I'm not going to win today? You know, they go out there. Of course they want to do that. But the the expectation of winning is one thing. The focus on doing what you need to do to be able to win, to give you the best chance, is where the energy and the resources need to be. And when winning or not losing becomes so important, it distracts that energy. I love, I think it's pretty well publicised. You may well know this better uh, than I do. Eva Lendl's uh, conversation with Andy Murray prior to that. 
when uh, prior to when Andy winning winning any of the uh, the uh, majors, and he said, "Before we start work, you have to convince me that you've let go of the fact that you might win a major, and you might not win a major, and you might not win Wimbledon, and and those things which become so 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 palpable with an individual's uh, performance. Once you go, yeah, I'll go. Let's go. Because he said, then we can get to work on how you do that." And that's such a that, that release for an athlete in terms of their energy and their focus. It doesn't say these things aren't important. It just says, actually, here's what I need to do to get there. Mm. And let's be honest, as coaches, we're so often measured by our results. Of so course. results are important. But honestly, yeah. Martin, I've only ever met three girls in my life where I said, you have to step up and win for Australia today. That's one every 10 years where yeah. they can winning is what did motivate them and the win yeah. was what did push them yeah. and even yeah. finding knowing when you could do that you've got to you've got to um test it out in practice you can't just go and say that that on game day what about what about when you were an athlete let's go back to your um uh, rugby union uh, i've got relatives in coventry so giving them a shout out let's go cov yeah. um, so what about when you know your rugby career how did you Personally, like you now work in dealing with pressure. What about you as an athlete yourself? I look back now and I think it's a, it's a good, I have, I've had to reflect back an awful lot because you want to draw on your own experiences. I was really fortunate. I was really privileged to be able to play at the level I was able to play at. I just thought it was a constant sort of pinching myself every time I went ran out in the field and there were all these people watching. And, but I always thought it was a, a real um, opportunity to, to be successful. And some of the great matches that, that we played in as a team and that I was able to perform well in um, will stay with me forever. And I'm now talking lots of years ago. And some of the ones that we lost will stay with me forever. Um, and, and if I contributed to that, that stays with you forever. But I never felt at that moment, I never felt, it's, I was never felt I was going to be defined by either what we won or what we lost. It was just part of the outcome of, of the work that we put in together. And I, I, I think I was able to move, I think I was able to move past some of those, uh, uh, those, those winnings and, and, and wins and losses quite well. Mm. They, I, the fact that I can recall them all now maybe says I haven't quite moved past. They stay with you. <laughs> I think if you if you're competitive, it just stays with you forever. And you remember, and you just you, you put it in as part of your story, you know. Yep, yep, totally. Well, let's shift gears because I love uh, the story behind gazing, uh, the, where the name came from and how it was uh, derived. Um, so, could you share the story behind that? Sure. So, uh, gazing, which is now 25 years old. So it's, you know, it, it's uh, um, exciting that we're still around then, but also uh, a really good friend of mine said, your approach and gazing, and we don't just work in sport, we work in business and education and all these other areas, and, and, and actually um, is, is more relevant today than it was when you started. And the reason for that, one of the reasons for that, I think, is the underlying philosophy that sits beneath all of the training and all of the coaching that we do comes from a samurai warrior um, teaching in the 16th century, um, where there was a teacher called Masashi who had uh, decided to train the soldiers, uh, the, the samurai warriors, in this double gaze. Uh, and what really what he said was to be the best warriors, uh, you have to be able to not only be very specifically uh, focused and effective on the immediate fight in front of you, the person that you're fighting, the opponent you're fighting, but you also have to be able to switch gears and take a step back and look more broadly at the strategy of the army on the battlefield. 
And actually, it's not just to get back to the tent at the end of the day and see how to be doing the strategy. It's actually a constant shifting of perspectives, overview and detail, which we've now translated into zooming out and zooming in. And, and gazing is, is what that, that, that shifting of perspective means. And, you, you know, you, you think about the sports we work in, motor racing, golf, but you also think about uh, team sports, football and, 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 uh, and rugby, where the ability to step back, take a slightly bigger picture and then zoom back in is a really critical mental skill. Uh, and it's the same in business, by the way. You know, the strategy that you have and the, the results that you're pursuing need a focus and some attention. But then you zoom back into specifically what do we need to do today and tomorrow? So, I love it. It's so cool. One eye on the immediate situation, the opponent, and the other eye on the bigger picture, the wider battlefield. It's uh, it's so, so important. And in in my coaching, we call that chunking, chunking it down into yep. manageable pieces. So zoom out, zoom in. There's lots of different ways to describe yes. it. But I, I think it's it is really important. And especially how that relates to, you mentioned earlier, the the control circles. Could you share some more about that? Yeah, I mean, and, and actually that, that's a really, you just made a really um, key point for young athletes because that chunking, when we chunk down and, and you say to a young athlete, we really need to put your attention on the execution of this particular skill or this in this particular moment, the, com the combination of skills. And, and sometimes the outcome is exactly what they want, what you want, exactly what, what, they, what they need, but sometimes it isn't. And those mistakes that occur or those breakdowns in performance can feel entirely overwhelming uh, at that moment in time. And, and that zoom out ability allows young athletes to put into context what's just happened. And, and a simple question would be the mistake that you've just made uh, on the 18th that means you've lost the tournament can feel the, the worst thing that ever happened until you actually realize it's one of 10,000 mistakes you're going to make in your golfing career. And actually, of course, you should learn from it. But now's the time to zoom out a little bit, do some reflection, and then move past it. And that's where the control circles becomes really helpful. So in the teaching of mentality as a skill, which is the first concept that we try and establish with athletes and coaches, um, that it's a skill rather than an illness to cure or a condition that needs treating, which is so often we hear that in, in so many sports still. Um, you know, it's as though the athletes need to attend the, the couch and get sorted out. And you hear it from coaches, you hear coaches say, you need to sort your head out. And, but then when, when you think about developing as a skill, one of the biggest impediments to our mentality is where our attention gets directed onto things that we cannot control. And very often those are things in the past. So hence, Imi and uh, Imi's teaching of the, the control circles to me. Um, but then also on the future, and they get the, your attention gets shifted to the future. And, and it doesn't stay present. And so the control circles is, is a simple way of representing that where there are things that are affecting how you feel and what you're thinking that are outside your control, it's actually an unhelpful use of your energy and your attention to focus on those things. Much better to shift your attention onto those things that you have direct control over. Next shot, next task, where you hold the club, how you how you put your feet, the shoulders, all the things that you've learned and you've got to, the choice you make about the club, the choice you make about the shot, the, the decision you make in the game situation, whatever it might be, those are things that you can put your attention on that you can control. But the control circle is one of the big misses because you will hear so many people talk about control or controllables. I mean, have just turn the TV on them in the weekend. You will have heard it in the NFL as it started again this weekend, and you'd have heard people talk about the controller controllables and 
What's missed in all of this is the acknowledgement as human beings that however intellectually obvious it is that things are outside your control, you have to acknowledge how you feel about those things. Because while you're feeling upset, angry, disappointed, sad, annoyed, whatever it might be about something that you cannot control, until you let it go, it's really difficult to put your attention usefully onto anything else. Mm. And that is, that's where it becomes a skill because it's difficult to do that. It is. You know, easy to understand, but tricky to do. It is. And if, if you don't have self-awareness, you can, it's, it's impossible to do that. It starts with self-awareness. Yep, and completely. I love the, the mind and the body, how intrinsically they are connected. And so being able to even identify where you're feeling that in the body, I'm feeling angry. Uh, I know in early in my career, you know, I've always just been fascinated by personal development. I remember, you know, even just getting a Louise Hay book when I was super young, I was 21 and, and she was talking about, and, and I've seen this time and time again, just headaches, pre, pre-game headaches. Yep. Um, and where you feel the headache, do you feel it in the, in the, in the front section at the base of the back of the, the, the head or on top, you know, feeling under pressure to perform and that the feeling like the headaches really intense on the top of the head. And I think bringing just even acknowledging that, like you said, acknowledging it, acknowledging where you're feeling it, what you're feeling and where you're feeling it, you can then start to shift it or you yep. can even start to name it uh, so that you, then you can, you can work through yep. it. And the, the, the more mental skills you have, the easier, easier that becomes. So let's shift to there. Let's talk about, uh, performing under pressure what do you think are I mean we spoke a little bit about the past the future those types of things but what do you think is maybe like the biggest blockers for young athletes and corporate people why do they feel under pressure like what's the biggest cause of pressure and is it different between a, a teenage athlete and a corporate person who's under pressure um, so, so there's quite a lot wrapped up in that. <laughs> I know, I know. Sorry, that's it. Could be another podcast as well, but I'm yeah, just. But, but listen, it is that the really important stuff. The reason that that that, that we gazing um, and red to blue is applied um, at the, the the top of Everest, uh, in the middle of the uh, Pacific Ocean, uh, in the boardroom, in the classroom, uh, and all of these other places in between, at tennis court, right? it is because we start with human beings, and and the first. When you talk about performance under pressure, there's a couple of things that, that need to be acknowledged. And, and the first thing is to acknowledge that mindset has a part to play in it. Because there will be people out there who don't believe it does. And it's fine. I mean, there are elements of the military and elements in sport where you think if you really, really train the skill, train the, the quality of it hard, then actually it should take the mindset impact, the unhelpful impact of mindset, out of the equation. And there'll be people who can describe that as being true. But once you eventually, I mean, when the All Blacks started using red to blue, they sort of they were pretty skillful and pretty effective at what they did. But what they hadn't done any uh, hadn't done was, was was spend enough time on mindset and mentality and the impact between the relationship between pressure and mindset and what happened. So mindset's the thing is the first to establish. We're all human is the second bit, um, and it doesn't matter whether you're in a a, a a corporate leadership group, whether you're in a bunch of new employees who've just started, or whether you're in a team environment, or whether you're the teenager we're all vulnerable um, to pressure. We can all be impacted by pressure. So that uh, we're all human is, an, is a second important starting point. And then if we 
knowledge that mindset and pressure have an impact on performance. The next question that you ask is, well, what can you do about it? And this run across the, uh, the spectrum. And, it, and it, what I'm not trying to do here and what we're not trying to do is to contradict any of the really valuable help that gets provided from a mental health perspective. So there are clearly people who, um, athletes, people generally, and there's an increased awareness at last of the challenge that, that the population faces around their mentality and mental health and maintaining that health. And where that's diagnosed, it should quite properly get expert treatment. I guess what we're saying is, in addition to that, on top of that, is there a way of actually building the skills, the resilience, the mentality needed to be okay to start with when the pressure's on, but, but and to do well? And, and our perspective on it is that we think it's a skill. doesn't mean we're right. just means that's our view. And, and, and then the next question is, well, then what's the skill and can you, how do you introduce it in a way that I can understand it, that I can use it? And that it starts to have an impact on, on, you know, how I do in those critical moments, those pressure moments. So let's go there then, red to blue. Uh, yeah. Of course, where let, let's ex explain that's not nothing to do with politics. But uh, <laughs> it's important in the country you're speaking in right now. I understand that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you the whole episode, the through line so far has been the gap, isn't it? You know, this is where you are and this is where you want to be. We're, we're moving somewhere. We're, we're truth to talent. Uh, so let's let's go there. What is red to blue? Uh, and maybe could you give one example or one story of um, of success with it? Yeah. Um, it, I mean, the, the, it's a framework uh, that, that describes uh, actually slightly falsely our mental states when, uh, when we are facing pressure or even when we're preparing for pressure. And it basically starts with the tenet that says, um, like any skill, you need a, a sort of core concept underneath it. And the core underneath red to blue, and it goes back to what I just said, by the way, just now, that in order for this to be relevant, you've got to go through the first bit, which says mindset's a thing. It has an impact on how well you do and how well you're prepared to cope when the pressure's on. But once you go, this is a skill, you go, okay, what is the skill? And, and it's captured by describing a simple dichotomy in terms of where our attention goes. And the, the concept is our where our attention goes, our energy will follow. So what we're tapping into is actually, and this is an age-old kind of, uh, you know, well-known saying that says, if you've got your attention in the right place, there's a good chance you can tap into your energy. But what happens is the red side, the redhead, describes situations that have, and responses to pressure that have diverted or distracted our attention away from the task at hand, which can be a specific activity, it can be a strategic decision, it can be the, active, the, the execution of a particular task in the context of the performance, whatever it might be, it can be the, acquiring the knowledge you need to answer, an exam, uh, to answer an exam question in a critical exam at school or at college or wherever it might be, all of those things. And that's where when you ask about can desire to win become unhelpful, one of the things it can do is block our ability to actually access the information we need or the skill that we need to apply in that particular moment. And so red to blue, this will be terrible for Tavi, but I'm gonna show you anyway, is a really simple framework. There you go. Awesome. And, it, and, and this is, I, I'll say that there's not already, uh, people, are, people are already using red to blue. They just don't know it because they're 
getting their attention, they're coping with the pressure they're under, they're experiencing it, they're stepping back, they're doing all the things that we get good advice about how to deal with it, not focusing on stuff they can't control, they got their attention, they're already doing it. What that one-page map does for an athlete and ultimately for a coach is it brings mentality and mental skill to the forefront of your attention. And it says this is something that we can together work deliberately on. So it moves from being implicit, just get your attention in the right place, to being explicit. Let's prepare for those moments when your attention is under threat. And let's make sure that actually in being ready, you can either your attention shifts and you get your attention back on task, or indeed you manage to keep your attention on task even when those really difficult moments occur, which of course is the key. So how do you teach stillness? How do you teach presence? What's the technique maybe that you, you know, do you do you believe in meditation? And what are your thoughts on? So I, I, I don't meditate, um, but I believe a lot of people do. And I believe a lot of people find great comfort and great uh, progress in, in applied meditation. And I think clearing the decks, it, it can be a very, very useful uh, technique to do that. Um, but, but not, uh, not but, because it, 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 in addition to that, one of the areas that I think is really important to acknowledge is that our mentality is often requires to be applied in the moment. And, and question number three in a maths exam, uh, when you got, you know, however many minutes left on the clock, you might not be able to meditate. You might not have enough time to meditate your way through the difficulty that you're experiencing when you've looked at the question to go, there's no way I can answer that. My mind's just gone. Phew. And so what Red to Blue's designed, not to contradict meditation or other techniques that people use to try and help them stay calm and stay focused, but to actually provide that simple framework and simple language that says, not only can we prepare for these difficult moments and the likely unhelpful impact of pressure, but we can also actually use it in the moment. We can use it and we can access it with techniques like uh, one of the well-known players in the All Blacks speaks beautifully on the High Performance Podcast and one or two other about how he uses grounding as a way in front of 80,000 people just to reconnect with his attention so that he can then focus back in on the, the technique, the execution of the technique that, of course, has practiced many, many times when you're about to take a kick. So that ability to use it real time is so important in sport, but I think it's important in life anyway. Um, and that's how you teach presence for me. And 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 the because then of course you can use red to blue in the review of performance, which is not done anywhere near enough. Uh, when when we look at performance, we tend to look at the skills that that broke down or the decisions that didn't get made in the best possible way. We don't look at what was that a red moment, and if it was a red moment, what triggered it, and what was the response that you had? Because therein will lie some of the, the circular learning that goes on with the mental skill. So. Uh, it, and when we talk about skill using red to blue, we basically say, look, there's three things that you can actually hone in on. The first one, you just said it just now, is recognizing self-awareness, knowing when you're red and knowing when you're blue. And that's often because you can feel it in your body, whether it's in your tummy, whether it's in your arms, whether it's you go tight in your legs, whether you've got it in your head, whatever it might be, you can feel physiologically, you can feel redhead kicking in. A lot of people flush up, so it's you know it's represented in the way that their faces, you can see in their face. Um, and, then, and then it's the acceptance of, of where you are. The most difficult step, I think, in the mental skill is the acceptance that it's you and not the referee. Because boy, you want to blame the referee. Or if you're Nick Curios, you want to blame the umpire and the box and everyone else in the crowd. 
<laughs> He's going to win a major soon, though. Um, and then the third part of the skill, I think, is the uh, is the selection of where you put your attention. Oh, thank you so much for those three steps because it really helps to for, you know coaches out there just to check in with what your framework is to help your athletes with these skills and help your team members if you're in the corporate space. Hey, what's going on for you? Checking in with people and just asking those self-awareness questions to then yeah. be able to, okay, accept where you're at unconditionally, which is not easy, to be able <laughs> to then choose where, where does your attention need to go right now? Does it need to be on the bigger yeah. battlefield or does it need to be right in right in the uh, the current situation yeah. so and what you've just described is a lot that's the simplicity of this and that's why people are doing this already now I, you know my starting point when we make our presentations to you know new new to be coaches is that seven billion people in this world could do with red to blue but but what they what i'm really saying and that's because i'm biased but what i could, what they're really saying is seven billion people in the world could do with mental skills and right now you could argue they could do with it even more than ever before and just some work to build in that the resilience to deal with the, the challenging situations we face that are very often macro factors that are causing them um but even as you go through the elite pathway with athletes they'll be associated with outcomes or associated with how they feel about their performance and all of those things just building some mental skill could really help ease the pathway so red to blue is great but and and just to give you just to finish Emma because I know we're coming to the end and um, you know one of my greatest moments uh, that happened just yesterday got a we've got a coach over in Kathmandu at the moment who so she's gone over as part of the work we're doing with the mountaineer and she's working in a charity and uh, she's taken the uh, the kids version of red to blue so we've got a children's version of that which is some monsters and things like that and uh, and it's in Nepalese as well and she, she's just spent two hours over the weekend teaching these kids red to blue in preparation for their exams this week. And, and that, that they just loved it. They used the control circles. And for me, that's uh, brilliant to win majors and win tournaments and win trophies and make progress along the elite pathway. But if you get to young children like that that early, fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so just two more quick things, I, I promise, and then I'll let you go. But I, I wish I didn't have to let you go. Uh, <laughs> Let's go to the All Blacks. Uh, what an amazing team to watch. I love watching them. What's What's been your um, influence with them? The Coaching Podcast was brought to you by Paperbell. If you're anything like me, you might not be super tech savvy. Well, Paperbell powers your online coaching business. It does your payments, appointments, contract signing, client management, and so much more. It's dead simple to use and will give you so much relief and ease in your coaching practice. You send your clients one link and Paperbell does the rest for you. It's like having a VA that's there 24-7. It's a one-stop shop, so you don't have to worry about doing all the boring administration stuff and you can do what you love to do. That is coaching. Get started with a free account at paperbell.com forward slash podcast. That's paperbell.com forward slash podcast. Check it out. Like what's been your relationship with with the All Blacks, and could you share maybe one one story about? So I, I think that um, the, the if you go back to two thousand nine, so and uh, one of the, one of the my fellow founding partners, a guy called Dr. Kerry Evans, who's who's written about performing under pressure with red to blue, and uh, and he and another of the partner were um, had been doing some work with the, the team in um, the Crusaders, the team in Christchurch, and and they were engaged when the the All Blacks were. Um, probably smitten with angst 
after losing yet another World Cup. I'm English, so I can say that. Um, but, but but did a proper review, got past blaming Wayne Barnes, the referee, and actually decided that that actually maybe there's something that they're not doing in the preparation of the of the group and the culture, and then fantastically engaged uh, Gazing and Kerry and Renzi, and and then along the way that some of the top players and the coaches and a guy called Gilbert Anoka just built red to blue within their environment. And, and it's written about in a book called Legacy. It became part of their culture, part of what they do. They speak uh, very passionately about how important it is right now. And and I, I mean, I, I would point probably to to Dan's reference in, uh, you know, when, when he talks about um, far be, and Richie McCall, the captain is the same. Uh, they both speak publicly about this pressure uh, in those early days was something to be fearful of, was something to shy away from, to the point even as an international rugby player that they, they sort of went missing on the pitch, um, which you do see sometimes. But actually, as, it, as they, as they learned those skills and they learned that, that ability to embrace the discomfort that comes with pressure, it, it, it became something that they ended up walking towards. And, and I, you know, that, that those, those are great headlines that you see in the books and you hear about the All Blacks but it doesn't happen without the hard work needed to develop the skill and develop your perspective on pressure that will allow you to do that. But I think that's a great story. And, and if you've got young children, young athletes now doing that across multiple sports and just in education and in business, then all of a sudden the whole world's mentality can start to improve and just, you know, build up that capability to deal with the pressure that we find ourselves under in the world mm. we live in now. I had it. I, I learned an awesome reframe the other day from, uh, Mark Jeffrey, who runs the Winning Summit, he's actually from the UK, just a great person. But he said to me, uh, he, they're reframing, perform under pressure, perform with pressure. Just a yeah. simple reframe that I, I learned last week. And I'm I'm going to adopt that in all of my language from here on in. So I, I love that. All right. Yeah. My last question uh, is in one to a maximum of three words, what do you think makes a great CEO? Perspective perspective you heard it here on the coaching podcast martin it's been such an awesome conversation thank you so so much i'm i'm just looking through my my many notes here of what the through line is going to be but uh see do teach and uh remember it's a dialogue and not a monologue thank you for your time thank you for making me a better coach oh well thank you emma i really enjoyed it i look forward to uh speaking to you again sometime soon I hope so. It'd be my honour and privilege. Thanks, everyone, for listening. The Coaching Podcast is brought to you by your energy and high performance under pressure coach, Emma Doyle.